Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy Trevi Trev, one half of TBT Hosea 46. As promised, we got a special guest coming on. Dr. GK Bill joins us, joins us right as soon as we come back from this brief little break. All right, I told you, told you, we got the one and only. Um, he's very reputable. I really enjoy his commentary on the book of Revelation. He's well respected, his view, his take on Revelation. Uh, no, none other than the Dr. G.K. Bill. I do not want to belabor the time. Uh, I do want to say that I have a couple of his books, the thicker commentary on Revelation, and then his book on, uh, I'm going to hold it up, We Become What We Worship. I have not read it yet. I did receive it as a gift from recently guest teaching at my friend's church in the Bronx, New York. Um, but I will get to that, hopefully, when I have um, this winter off, winter, spring semester off, probably will be my read. As long, as long It probably will be my read alongside taking Latin. But um, anywho, uh, I do not want to belabor the time. I want to bring on our special guest and welcome him, the one and only Dr. G.K. Bill. Welcome, sir. Good to be here. Oh, yeah. The crowd's going a little bit wild for you. I know we're excited. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, Revelation, Revelation. So, we have a uh, lot of lot of events have occurred worldwide and uh you know the whole issue with russia and ukraine and then china and the u.s and you know the middle east all type stuff and so that invites a lot of end time prophets if you would or end time experts air quote around that um and and revelation kind of seems to get brought into that uh so this is why i wanted to have you on uh to to help us understand revelation um again guys we're not going to go into too much detail um if you want you can if you're a nerd if you want to go through the thicker commentary because i think you have a concise version of revelation if i'm not mistaken um you know if you're not that big into reading uh then then you should pick that up um but either way it will bless your life and bless your ministry all right uh so dr bill uh if you just want to take a minute just to tell us just a Brief little something about yourself that would be appreciative. Um, yes, well, I'm. Um, I guess I could just say that I, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, and I reading Romans 10 where it says, "If you uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is, is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved." And uh, so I just believed that, and so from then on. Uh, God's guided me in various ways. I, uh, it led me to go to seminary and further graduate school to study the Bible, and then I started teaching. The main places I've taught are Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, Wheaton College Graduate School, Westminster Theological Seminary, and beginning about two years ago, I started at Reformed Theological Seminary in their campus in Dallas, Texas. Okay. So that's a, a very uh, rough sketch. I'm married and I have three children that are all out of the home. And so I can, I'm sure I could uh, say more, but that's a, a thumb, thumbnail sketch. All right. You is, is how hot is it in Dallas? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some family down there. 
I'm told it's over 100, but thank the Lord, right now I'm way up in Maine, only a few miles oh, on the coast from Canada. Okay, so, okay. Um, beautiful weather. But, but it's, it's about going to be about 75 here today, so that's not too bad. Oh, that's beautiful, beautiful. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so where are you? Where are you this I, um, summer? Yeah, I'm down in Virginia, so in the Richmond, Virginia area. So it's uh, humid. We are we're more so on the humid, the humid, humid heat, but not as yeah. hot as what Texas and other parts of the country have been. Yeah. Still hot, but not as not as hot. So, yeah. um, yeah, quite a quite extensive resume. And again, please grab his books. They are very helpful. Again, the commentary I can definitely speak on the commentary of Revelation uh, is wonderful. If you want to dig into it and got through maybe about 30 minutes ago, recommending your commentary to a couple of friends that I think their church is going to go through eschatology. So, oh. uh, yes, sir. So, all right. So revelation, um, some people say it scares them. Some people say, you know, Oh, that stuff is fairy tale. Some people take, Oh, it could be political is what John was talking about or what, what John was relaying. Um, it's all sorts of type types of views. Can you give us context? Can you give us uh, the different viewpoints? However you want to tackle that, that would be wonderful. Sure. I can uh, just summarize what I think okay. are the, um, the major viewpoints. Uh, the, the, main, the one that's been very popular is, um, and in many of the churches, is that um, <clears throat> Revelation is about the future. Mm -hmm. You have the churches in chapters one to three that's clearly about the present, but many would say from chapter four on toward the end of the book, or roughly around chapter 22 and verse five, it's all future. It's about the future after the rapture of the church. Mm -hmm. In fact, the word church doesn't occur in that, that section. So some would say it doesn't occur because it's not present. And so um, uh, this is uh, typically called the um, dispensational view. Mm -hmm. The dispensational view doesn't believe that the church and Israel are the same. So that after the church is raptured, Israel will be on the earth and they'll begin to receive the promises of redemption, especially at, toward the end of the church age and on into the millennium. Uh, they'll, they'll receive the promises of the uh, kingdom promised to Israel. Mm -hmm. And so... <clears throat> Typically, that approach uh, takes the book, especially in, on the popular level, it takes the book more literally and not symbolically. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's often that view of the book that attempts to relate it to current affairs in Russia, in Israel, in China, in Europe, for example. Um, so <clears throat> now there's another view that is called the, um, uh, some, some refer it to as an amillennial view, some call it a, um, a redemptive historical view, uh, the different ways to explain it. But the idea is this, that uh, while it is true, certainly that chapters one to three refer to the seven churches representing the present church age, uh, the rest of the book from chapter four onwards is not merely about the future. It is at various points, but also at various points, it's also about the present. And, and so um, 
Uh, the idea is this, that, that, that the book of Revelation is not just a futurology, but it is a redemptive historical psychology uh, within the which the church of the present is to think. And so we might call it an already and not yet view. Mm-hmm. That that section from chapter 4 to the beginning of 22 is about the present, but it's also about the future. And you just have to um, interpret carefully to see which is which. And typically, the uh, uh, seven series of the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls, mm-hmm. those are seen as what we, what we call temporally parallel with one another. And that they each of those series has their uh, already elements, especially at the beginning and uh, in, in the middle of the series, and then it gets to the future in the sixth and seventh elements, and that's typical uh, all the way through. So we call that um, uh, a, a kind of uh, parallelism, mm-hmm. um, temporal uh, or synchronic parallelism. And, uh, and and if you think about it, that's the way the Old Testament prophets wrote. I mean, as, uh, if, you, if you read Ezekiel, he just repeats again and again that Israel has sinned, they deserve to go into exile, and that they will go into exile. Isaiah is that way, Jeremiah is that way, and they just repeat these things. And uh, so it's what we call recapitulation. It's another way to say it. Those right. three uh, septets, those three series of sevens, um, uh, are um, synchronously par- parallel. They're, they they recapitulate one another, mm-hmm. and so um, and also along with that view is that the book is taken more symbolically rather than literally. Also along with that view is that uh, the book is uh, in chapter twenty that the the millennium begins with Christ's resurrection and ascension and continues to the end of the age. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of the age, there's a final assault on the church. Uh, The opposition to the church is defeated. Then there's judgment and a new heavens and earth. Mm -hmm. So the the millennium is not something future. It's what we call already and not yet. Right. So so that's... uh, that's a thumbnail sketch of the two main views. Um, there, there, there is a view that's also called preterism that says all of the book of Revelation was fulfilled in either 70 AD or with the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Not many Christians today hold that view, though some do, especially the 70 AD version. Right. Um, and then there are, uh, some believe that the book of Revelation is preterist. Uh, it's all fulfilled in 70 AD, but the rest of the New Testament, of course, there will be a final coming of Christ. Now, there are some who believe the whole New Testament was fulfilled in 70 AD, and there's no final coming of Christ. Um, and the resurrection, there'll be no final resurrection of the saints. So uh, the, these are some of the permutations. But maybe I should stop there, and you, you, if you want to ask me some questions about that, you can, or we can go to another topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with with the preterists, would they would they kind of connect that with uh, was it Mark thirteen with the um, desolation of abomination, abomination that caused the desolation? Yes, they would connect that with 
Mark 13 and it's parallels. Okay. Okay. Matthew 24 and the parallel and in, in, in Luke 21. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, and then where, where do you stand at on these different views? Cause you, do you kind of mix them? Do you, do you side one way? Do you side the other way? What <laughs> if we have some GK bill lights, um, how yeah. would, and I was talking to one, what would they say if I said, what does Dr. Bill believe? Um, yeah. How should we, what is, what is a good way? To- yeah, I, I would, I would, it's hard to summarize my view. I don't like the view all millennial. Mm-hmm. So I hold something uh, essentially uh, identical to it, but all millennial means no millennium, the ah there, the, the uh, alpha or the, the A stands for an alpha, which means no. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that because I do believe in a millennium. I just believe that it's not exclusively future, mm-hmm. but it's already and not yet. And I also believe that it's real, but you can't see it. It's um, it's invisible. It's spiritual. So so I am, I, I would call myself an already and not yet millennialist. Uh, in, 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 in that sense, an already and not yet redemptive historical millennialist mm-hmm. is what I would call myself. And that, that, in my view of the whole book, would be kind of a uh, already and not yet redemptive historical eclecticism. I do think some aspects, certainly there's, a, there's some, a good amount of future mm-hmm. in the book and a good amount of past and a good amount about the present. And so, um, uh, in part, the preterists have a good point. The futurists do, but I think they're too extreme. And so yeah. I, I think at heart, the book is uh, an already and not yet book. And it tells us um, about the church age. And then, of course, it does tell us what's coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me. Um, OK, cool, cool. So. We had we put out on uh, social media just some questions that people would have about Revelation. <laughs> we, you know, you got things about the the third temple, and you got think we have received questions about the two witnesses who are the hundred forty four thousand. So, uh, you know, one question I put out there for people to answer: Can you use Revelation? I'm passing this on for you to answer right now, or if you want to, I don't want to force you to do anything. I want you. Can you use Revelation as a timeline for events? Those that hold to the viewpoint of Revelation being solely futuristic, can you use Revelation as a timeline for events, current events or events to come? Uh, For current events, the way it's used uh, sometimes, um, uh, no, I I don't think so. I, I, I do think that um, certainly there, there is an order. You have the church age, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the church age, we know from chapter 11, 7 and following, and chapter 26 and following, that there's going to be a final tribulation and a worldwide assault on the church. And we'll call that the great tribulation. Mm-hmm. Though I believe that tribulation's begun, but it'll get more intense. Right. It's it's partial now. It'll be universal at the end, mm-hmm. and then uh, you have uh, uh, the destruction of the forces of evil uh, when they attempt to assault the church. There'll be the final judgment, the resurrection, 
uh, of all people, righteous and unjust. And, um, and then there'll be a destruction of the heavens and earth. And the saints will uh, rule with Christ as kings, priests forever. So that's a timeline. Mm-hmm. But that's not the usual timeline I think you're talking about. Right, uh, right. The more popular in the yeah. it, social media, you know, people Can you give that- me an example <laughs> of what you have in mind, because there are different examples of that. What do you, yeah, you have sure. So, so, I mean, like, your mind, um, I don't I mean, just kind of just specific, just it would be not not to say we have a good detail, but let's take for instance, if you take this war and I know it's kind of you have to run to Ezekiel for that with Russia and China and all that jazz, Gog, Magog and you know, maybe I think they'll try to pull from Revelation 20, the this you was it the Euphrates River drying up or somewhere around that ballpark. Right. Um, chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Right. There you go. So I mean Sorry, could, 16. That's 16. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to use the book in that sense. I mean, you would is it just common occurrences? I don't, I mean, I'm trying to because to me it's like, well, if I have this conversation with somebody, I mean, in smack dab of revelation, you have what some would say is a birth narrative, you know, what would be chapter 13 of Revelation. So in that sense, would you be able to follow along um, Revelation as, okay, we see this country over here doing this and that aligns somewhere. It's almost like you have to eisegete the text, you know, for that type of that popular timeline to be applicable, right? Well, it might be, you know, a good example to take would be uh, Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth, mm-hmm. um, where he identifies Russia with Gog and Magog, and he identifies the common market with the, uh, as a ten-nation confederacy with the uh, ten horns of Daniel 7, and then he defi- defines the kings of the East, with, which have a standing army of, uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's, I think the number is 100, uh, uh, 100 million people, I think is the number that's usually um, uh, read, uh, 200, 200 million, a standing army of 200 million. So he identifies that with China. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the king of the South is Egypt. And, and then, of course, Israel is regathered Israel. Right. Okay. So um, I don't think that you can make those connections uh, in in the way he does. Uh, I'll give you a few reasons. Um, Number one, you have to take the book very literally to do that. Um, And number two, um, the... uh, cornerstone to that view is the restoration of Israel and her land. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, along with others, uh, and that this has continued up to the present, <clears throat> would say the Bible prophesied that Israel would come back to her land. And in 1948, they came back. And, and so that, that's an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. Mm-hmm. The, problem, <clears throat> the problem with that view is that the restoration prophecies of Israel began fulfillment with Jesus. Mm. And uh, he quotes Isaiah's prophecies of restoration of Israel again and again, and says they've begun. Paul does the same thing. Um, so 
for, for example, Paul can say in um, in, in, in Second Corinthians uh, chapter six, he quotes a restoration prophecy there, and um, he says this. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Well, that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 48, uh, 49, and verse 8. So it's at the acceptable time, Israel, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. And um, that refers um, uh, actually there to the, uh, the servant who would restore Israel. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, many many would say, oh, well, that's 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 got to be yet future. Israel's not restored. But Paul says, after he quotes that, he says, Second Corinthians six two, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So he quotes this restoration prophecy about the servant who's going to restore Israel. And says it's now. It's not way off in the future. So the idea is this, that Jesus Christ represented true Israel. How? Well, he was raised up by God to be true Israel, to be perfectly obedient in a way that they were not, though they were called to be. And so he is faithful, perfectly obedient Israel. And he goes to exile on the cross. That's the exile of true Israel on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's true Israel. By the way, Isaiah 49, 3 says, you are my servant Israel, speaking to this, the Messianic servant. So when he's on the cross, he's undergoing the exile of Israel for mm. Jew and Gentile. And then when he is restored from the dead, that's the restoration of Israel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all those who trust in that begin to be restored Israel. And so to think that the that Israel in the land today is the fulfillment, I think, disregards all of that. Um, and, and by the way, I don't think that that is a, uh, a, uh, a spiritual uh, interpretation, mm-hmm. uh, though it begins that way. Um, basically, the, the, the restoration of Israel is the beginning of, uh, of spiritual resurrection life that's consummated by physical resurrection life in the new heavens and in the new earth. So you can't separate the spiritual from the physical in this. But, you know, this is just one reason that that I disagree uh, with this. I've taken the cornerstone of that belief that restored Israel is uh, uh, the fulfillment of all those restoration of Israel prophecies. Many would say, take a look at them today. There they are. I would say, take a look at every believer today, and they're part of true restored Israel. And so, because... Why? Jesus represents you and me. And oh, yeah. who is he? He's he's my servant Israel, Isaiah 49, 3. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've just written a book called Union with the Resurrected Christ. And who he is at his ascension is who we are. And one of the mm-hmm. things he became in an escalated way was true Israel. And so we when we come into union with him, we're seen as true Israel. So um so that's just one reason I disagree with that timeline. It's probably more than your listeners want to hear. No, nah, you, you, you're preaching. You're preaching good. <laughs> you helping me. Lord and mercy. Um, so let me ask you, uh, you might just jump around a little bit. So the 144,000, mm-hmm. 
who are they? Because that, that's a question that might pop up a lot is, you know, who are they? You have Jehovah's Witness that, you know, that 144 with them. Uh, you have a lot of fringe cults that have popped up and claimed they're the 144. So could you help us out? Who are the 144,000 in the book of Revelation? Yes. Um, when you look at the book of Revelation, it, there's a what we call an interpretative pattern. Mm -hmm. That what is seen, if you have a vision, then you'll have a declaration by a, um, a heavenly angel or a heavenly being or Christ or God himself. Uh, and that declaration will interpret what you've seen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's turned around. Sometimes what you hear, you'll hear something. And then a vision is presented to interpret it. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a beautiful example before we look at this passage that you've talked about in chapter 7. Um, you probably will remember, and I think your listeners might remember this, that in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, and in verse 5, we hear with our ears, Behold the lion from the tribe of Judah, mm -hmm. who is conquered. He is able to open the book. All of a sudden, the next verse, and I saw a lamb standing as having been slain. So how, the vision interprets what we've heard. What have we heard? The lion from the tribe of Judah has conquered. Is that a military conquering? No, it's ironic conquering through death. Behold, I saw a lamb standing as having been slain. So the messianic lamb, Jesus, conquers ironically through death. Mm -hmm. his, his death appeared as weakness, but it was strength. Why? Because it delivered his people. It looked like a defeat, but it was victory. Why? Because he was win winning a victory over the devil and ripping the devil's kingdom off of his subjects. And um, so it looked like weakness, but it was strength. And so... Um, uh, there you have a pattern where what's heard, line from the tribe of Judah, is interpreted by what's seen. I saw a lamb standing as having been slain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we come to our passage in chapter 7, I think the pattern is we hear something. What do we hear? We hear all the way from verses 3 to 8 about uh, the 144,000. We hear 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, and so on and so on. And, um, and then we, we hear the um, uh, uh, statement. Actually, it's, it, it's, it's given earlier in, uh, in verse 4. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. So that's sort of the statement. And then... Every verse following that, from verses 5 to 8, give 12,000 from each tribe. Then all of a sudden, we have this juxtaposition. It's very abrupt. It's immediate. Verse 9, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. So many who take the book literally mm -hmm. say, there's no way. I mean, what, what this is telling us that after uh, the prophecy that there'll be 144,000, um, there will be multitudes who will be saved. Mm 
Yeah. Gentiles from all over the world. Right. The 144,000 are Israel. The, uh, the multitudes are different. They're not Israel. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if we go by the pattern of what is heard is interpreted by what is seen, then what is seen? Multitudes from every tribe, tongue, and people who are redeemed. I think they're the 144,000. Now, mm -hmm. it's not just the pattern of the vision. Mm -hmm. so just as in chapter 5, we hear about the line from the tribe of Judah who's conquered. How? By having been slain. That's what's seen. Yeah. 144,000 we hear. And what are they? They're the multitudes from around the world. Um, but what's very interesting is that in chapter uh, 7 of verse 9, when it introduces the multitudes, it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count mm -hmm. from every nation. Now, I ask my students when I come across this, this verse, I said, a multitude which no one could count. Does that ring any bells from the Old Testament for you? I tell, I ask my students that. And inevitably, one or two or more will raise their hand and say, that's the promise to Abraham. Mm -hmm. Promise to Abraham. God would make Israel like the sand of the sea. Right. Which you could not count. A multitude which you could not count. And so what do we have here? We have the Israelite formula about the Israelite seed of Abraham that would become multitudinous. Okay. Mm. The Israelite, this is a formula about the Israelite seed of Abraham, not Gentile. Right. Israelite. But notice how it's applied. I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation. Mm -hmm. Right. So now we're seeing who is the true seed of Abraham? It's Gentiles. They're the true seed. Why? Because Galatians 3.16 says Jesus is the true seed. And Galatians 3 ends with, if anyone is of Jesus, they are the seed of Abraham. And so here we have it. This is Revelation's version of Galatians 3.16 and mm. uh, the, the last verse of Galatians 3. So who, who are the 144,000? Well, they're the seed of Abraham, which no one could count. But who are they? What are we seeing? Multitudes. Where we try to people. So this is why I don't take it literally. Yeah, man. Great day. You got me smiling over here. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so I hear the, uh, I hear the references. I, I'm, I don't mean to jump back um, into context. So I hear the, the Hebrew Bible references. John makes use of Hebrew Bible Old Testament. Is it, is it roughly over 400 times? Probably more. Probably more right. So it's right. Okay. Just want to clarify. And then I, 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 I actually give the exact number in my commentary. Right. I think it, I want, I think, I think David DeSilver said, I, I'm trying to, I read his, uh, his edited version of Bruce Metzger's breaking the code a while yeah. back. I think it was 410. If I'm not mistaken, I can be wrong, but I know it's, it's a, he makes reference to Hebrew Bible quite often. And I think yeah. uh, the late Dr. Michael Heiser, he had a book recent before he passed, come out uh, discussing um, John's use of Old Testament in Revelation. So it is a good 
you know, thing to have under your belt when when going revelation. And then the nations, when John saw nations, let me ask you this. Will, do we retain our current identity at that point? So I would still be African-American. You would still see Asian, um, European, Caucasian, South American, you know, Hispanic. You still retain that identity? Well, that's what it says here. In verse nine, I looked a great multitude, which don't count from every nation Mm -hmm. and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. So what you are in this life, you'll be resurrected in the next life, Mm -hmm. but you will be, you'll have a perfect body, but uh, we'll be able to recognize one another. Mm -hmm. And yes, Mm -hmm. every nationality will be there, but the greater nationality is true Israel and Jesus. Mm. That's the greater nationality. Mm. So our nationality is not erased, but we're seen as whoever we are in Christ, in Messiah, which is true Israel. Amen. 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 I tell you what, um, since we just running through kind of the book of, uh, revelation here just some popular stuff some questions i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up some tiktok and get you to weigh in because we did get questions about the two witnesses the euphrates and then i think we'll jump right on and get your opinion about uh vladimir putin and this uh gog and magog situation so all right the first one we're going to deal with you know it's it's only it's right at roughly a minute long and then you can chime in uh dr bill but it's about the two witnesses all right all right I'll okay play I'm play it for you. The two people who will signal the end of the world already here. In the last days, the Bible predicts that two witnesses will be released into the earth who will minister for 1250 days with the power to shoot fire out of their mouth, shut the heavens, turn water into blood, and smite the earth. The Bible also states that there will be all sorts of plagues and an evangelistic ministry like the world has not seen since the Old Testament. If we look at the disasters that have been going on, from viruses to earthquakes. Are the two witnesses possibly here? I would say most likely not, and here's why. The Bible lets us know the two witnesses are here during the tribulation period, and that would have to mean that the Antichrist and the false prophet are on the scene. Now, I'm not saying the Antichrist isn't here, but I haven't seen him revealed yet. Let me know in the comments your thoughts, though, and follow for more. All right, Dr. Bill, your thoughts? Two witnesses? We got a whole lot yes, of yes, mumbo two witnesses. Um, <laughs> again, here's the key. The key is to let the book of Revelation interpret itself. Mm-hmm. So I have a very simple interpretive method. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And before you go outside of a book, if you have a questionable passage, Do the best you can to go elsewhere within that same book Mm -hmm. to see if there's another passage that enlightens it. But this is just the simple principle of letting Scripture interpret Scripture. And so we're told, who are the two witnesses? Well, it says, certainly in verse 3, they are two witnesses. Mm -hmm. Then it says in verse 4, these are two olive trees. And the two, and this is what I want to focus on, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, let me ask you, has the word lampstands been used before 
in the book of Revelation before chapter 11. You remember? Absolutely. Uh, that's the church. Jesus walks amongst. There you go. There you Chapters go. one to three, the lampstands repeatedly refer to the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, here's my principle in Revelation. If Revelation clearly defines something early and then that reference occurs again, mm -hmm. but there's no definition, I think we should assume the earlier definition. Let scripture interpret scripture. Amen. And so I think that since they're called two lampstands, this is the church. But then we have to ask, some will say, well, wait a minute, it's two. Doesn't that make them two individuals, two mm -hmm. individual prophets? I would say, no, we have to go back to the uh, letters again in chapters two to three. There are only two faithful churches. And so this represents the faithful witnessing church. So uh, that would be my major point here, that uh, this is the church. This is the witnessing church throughout the age, all, uh, up until the end, especially focusing up until the end here, because you'll notice verse 7 says, the beast comes up, makes war with them, and overcomes them and kills them. So I think what that means is that uh, the, the forces of evil led by an antichrist figure will come and attempt to extinguish the church, and it will essentially go underground and then before it's completely destroyed, uh, God will come in judgment at the end of time. And so um, uh, there, there are many other um, uh, uh, ways here that we can identify the, uh, the two witnesses with, with the corporate church and not with two individuals. For example, mm -hmm. in verse 7, when it says, when they, the witnesses, have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them. Mm -hmm. That phrase, make war with them and overcome them, comes from Daniel 7 and verse 21. Mm -hmm. In fact, most English translations even have that in the margin, Daniel 7, 21. I'm looking mm -hmm. at my New American Standard as Daniel 7, 21. And, well, so what difference does that make? Right. My wife always asks me, okay, big deal. So that goes back to Daniel 7.21. Well, Daniel 7.21 says in the end, there, there will the, the, the forces of evil will make war and overcome Israel, mm -hmm. the people of God. And so it's not just two individuals that are going to overcome. It's the people of God, the true Israel now in Christ. Mm -hmm. So so even that reference there, who's defeated? The two witnesses? Yes, but it's the two witnesses uh, as symbolic of the witnessing church that the, the, the forces of evil, even in Daniel 7.21 prophesied, mm -hmm. would come against uh, the people of God in the end time. So those are just a few uh, reasons. I have a number of others in my commentary. Uh, as to why I don't think that these are two individuals. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you feel free to ask questions. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking in uh, chapter two, church at Ephesus. So they, they more so got in trouble because of their failed evangelistic efforts because they shut themselves inside the church. It wasn't just about their failed love. With, I mean, I'm kind of trying to 
connect that with the the witnesses, which said two churches did not get in trouble. I think so. I I, I, okay. I think the problem with most of the churches is witness. Yeah. Those who had problems. I think it's witness in one way or another. You think about Ephesus. Mm-hmm. What is Christ going to do to them if they don't repent and return to their earlier love? He said, I'll remove. He's going to remove the lampstand. Remove it. What does a lampstand stand for? What's it stand for here mm-hmm. in chapter 11? It's a witness. It's, it's mm. to shine light. And so uh, at least in part, part of their problem is they're not shining their light. And Christ is saying, if you're not going to shine your light, you're going to be more concerned about arguing doctrinally with one another. Uh, if you're not going to shine your light out, then guess what? I'm going to remove you. I'm not going to acknowledge you as one of my lampstands. That's what that means. I'm going to remove it. I'm not going to acknowledge you as a true church, mm-hmm. as one of my lampstands. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, this has become more popular uh, in, let's see, maybe last year, kind of this year, people been talking about it. So this is concerning the Euphrates River. Let's take a listen. Did you know that this Bible prophecy is actually happening right in front of your eyes? And the strange thing is, no one's talking about it. In the book of Revelation, in the Bible, it talks about the great river Euphrates in the Middle East. It says that in the last days before God destroys the earth, this great river will dry up. This is the current state of that river. It is literally drying up. But that's not all. The Bible also says that God chained up four fallen angels and actually imprisoned them right under the Great Euphrates River. And according to the Bible timeline, those four fallen angels will be released to kill a third of mankind when the river is completely dry. And the Euphrates River is almost dried up. Like this video and subscribe right now to stay up to date with Bible prophecy. Did you know that All this right, Bible... Bill, so the Euphrates River and the spirits that are supposedly chained up underneath. Thoughts on that? Help us out. Um, well, first of all, it doesn't say that they're chained underneath the river. It says that they are bound at the great river Euphrates. Um, that That's just a, perhaps a minor quibble, but it's not under the river. There were, they're bound at the great river. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and then in uh, chapter 16, it says that um, the great river, the Euphrates, if water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. Yeah. So uh, he didn't speak of the kings from the east, just for, uh, for demonic angels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and uh, part of that explanation, by the way, is that he says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world, to gather them together for the uh, war of the great day of God, the Almighty. and. Um, so I, I think that we're, we're talking here more about uh, spiritual demonic warfare and, and, and not a kind of physical warfare. 
um, because it does say that uh, the river's dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And right. then you take that as China, for example. But I think we're talking about spiritual warfare yeah. here, not a kind of physical warfare. And I think that this passage is parallel um, uh, with Revelation chapter 6 and following, where the, where the devil is released from his prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says that he gathered them together for the war. And that's what we have in 1614. Spirits of demons perform signs to go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war. And that's what chapter 20 and um, verse uh, 6 says as well, that the devil be released, will come out to deceive the nations, probably through these demons, which are in the four corners of the earth, uh, Gog and Magar, listen, to gather them together for the war. So this is this final battle that also chapter 11 and verse 7 talked about, this final battle against the church where the powers of evil, Satan, his demons, and they'll inspire people on the earth to come against uh, the worldwide church to mm-hmm. extinguish it. So I think that's what it's talking about here. To, to say, I mean, first of all, what I would want to do is uh, <laughs> I'd like to study the history of the Euphrates and see how many times it may have dried up. Exactly. Um, exactly. That would be an interesting study. I don't know, maybe never, but I suspect maybe parts of it, you know, sometimes parts of rivers can go dry and parts are not. Right. So I, I would be very careful about uh, trying to identify the condition of the Euphrates River with uh, this this prophecy here in the mm-hmm. book of Revelation, because it's taking it very literally. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason for the drying up of the river is the Exodus background. Mm-hmm. And in the Exodus background, of course, you have the drying up of the waters. Yeah. And um, uh, in other parts of Revelation, that becomes um, a, um, a picture of uh, the redemption of, of, of God's people. For example, in chapter 21 and verse one, he sees a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Mm-hmm. And I think the point of that is the sea stands for evil. And part of that uh, probably uh, represents the sea that was blocking the Israelites. I have, a, of course, a whole discussion of that in my commentary in chapter 21 and verse uh, verse 1. So um, that, 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 those would be my immediate uh, responses to that uh, uh, piece on TikTok. Okay. All right. Um, let's go to this one because I think it might play into what I want to do. So here's another one where a very well-known pastor in the, in Texas, um, John Hagee, let's listen it. Let's listen into who he calls the leader of Gog. I believe that's what he says. And then <laughs> we'll get uh, Dr. Bill to weigh in again. Who is this Gog around whom history's climatic events will occur? Who is he? Ezekiel 38.2 Son of man, set your face against Gog. Gog is a man. Today that man 
is Vladimir Putin. All right. So Hagee says that uh, that man is Vladimir Putin. Is is Vladimir Putin in the in the Bible? <laughs> what what should we do with that? Yeah, this is uh, what I'd like to ask him is how is he so certain it's Vladimir Putin? Number right. one. Number two. He'll probably say because Gog and Magog represent Russia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Russia uh, is now coming to have a significant role in Bible prophecy. I think that that's what he would say. Yeah. And I, I, I would say that um, in chapter 20 and in verse 8, it says that the devil will come out of his prison and he'll come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. There it, it defines Gog and Magog, not as Russia, but as the nations in the four corners of the earth. So, so I can be very confident there. Right. It's not Vladimir Putin. No. It's not Russia. Gog and Magog. In chapter 20 and verse 8, represent the four corners of the earth. Why would I say that? How can I be so certain? Because John says it. Yep. So that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> no worries. I, I think hey. that uh, I think people with this very literal interpretation get overly confident. Right. Without a good basis for their confidence. Yeah. And I think what we just heard is an example of that. Yeah. And I think it kind of it kind of makes people live life always seeking a sign, always looking for the next sign instead of continue to work until the son of man, until Jesus Christ, you see him coming. It's almost like uh, chicken little, the sky is falling. You know, we always, oh man, it's over here. It's over there. You know, blah, blah. I think that when you take that type of interpretation, it, it, you have to really bend the Bible and you have to start to make thing, make the Bible say what it's not trying to say or what it really isn't saying. But again, I think you, you start living life in a way that, you know, it's not fun anymore and not saying that you, you know, I think we should enjoy life a little bit. I think God wants us to enjoy life, not to be sinful, but um, you know, we all to what Jesus tells us is to continue to work uh, to, uh, you know, two laying in the bed, one sleep, one go, one be pl- uh, two plowing, one would say, one would go. You know, we still have to work, uh, work while it's day because night is coming when no man can work. Yeah. Um, so I think that just, you know, always looking in current events in comparison to Revelation, I think you're setting yourself up for, you know, some some type of failed expectancy. Because what happens if Vladimir Putin dies in the next whatever days or months or whomever, you know, then is he still the leader of Gog Magog is question. Same with Xi Jinping is, you know, or any other type of world leader. Um, so anyway, so let's jump into the next one. I think it's going to be our last one because time has. Uh, by the way, I'd like to make a point. The way I'm attempting yeah, sure, sure. to answer your questions is by letting the book of Revelation interpret itself and to define these things. And, um, and, and I think that's what we, uh, what we have to do, even with the, the the drying up of with the Euphrates. Well, if it's drying up, 
That means you have to understand that this literal army is going to king come from the east. That's 200 million men. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I begin to think, you know, that that begins, I think, to take the book uh, way too literally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last one. This is, uh, you know, rather popular. Uh, and then we'll get you to weigh in on some gematria. First, what is the mark of the beast? The Bible says it's pretty much the number of the name of the Antichrist, and that number is 666. The people who get it will have it on their foreheads and hands, and it says that God's wrath will be upon them, and they'll pretty much go to hell. That's the mark, so what happens if you don't get it? If you don't get the mark of the beast, you're probably going to be killed, but that isn't even the end. Death is never the end with God. This part is so cool, and I actually just learned this. There's actually two judgment days. The first one judges everyone who survived the tribulation, and the second one just judges everyone ever. So once it's recognized that you didn't take the mark of the beast, you'll actually be resurrected to rule with Jesus Christ for a thousand years in what is called the Millennial Kingdom. And what is that? Well, it's not heaven. Follow for part two to find out. After All right. So the mark of the beast, <laughs> you kind of you kind of get this. I've heard computer chips are these chips they're coming out with now supposed to I think they already have them out for people's pets. You can get them inserted in case your, your dog or cat gets lost or whatever pet you have. Um, Mark of the Beast, 666-616, some gematria involved. Help us out, Dr. Beal. Yeah, well, I've just uh, created a computer chip, and uh, I think that that's the Mark of the Beast. So I'm getting ready to produce it. And um, <laughs> no. Um, the, the mark of the beast, uh, and again, we have to read the book of revelation very carefully. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and when we do, uh, we find that first of all, in, um, chapter 13 and verse 18, it says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 646. Mm -hmm. um, now, that, that phrase there, uh, the number of a man, you could translate that in Greek as a human number. Um, literally in Greek, uh, it is, uh, and I'll just translate it literally. And, um, for this is the number of man, mm -hmm. uh, you could say of a man, uh, or this is the number of man it is, or you could translate it. This is a human number. So, uh, it is not necessarily uh, a number to calculate that is, you know, uh, uh, the solution to it, it refers to someone like Nero or to Hitler mm -hmm. or, or whoever. And by the way, uh, some people, if it doesn't, if, if you're, you know, each number in Greek and Hebrew have a certain value. Okay. So al alpha is one or Aleph is one, et cetera. And um, uh, by deciphering 666, uh, uh, by, by trying to relate that to a name, I mean, 
you wouldn't believe how many names have, have been found to correlate to it. Hitler, Reagan, John F. Kennedy, and so on. I mean, narrow back in the first century. And, and so, um, and, and if it means that you have to calculate that number, it says the mind having wisdom, uh, literally it says, uh, let the one having a mind mm-hmm. calculate the number of the beast. Well, that means, hey, if you've got a good mathematical mind, you can do it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, forget it. That's just weird. That's a good example of why not to take this literally. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because if you have to have be a good mathematician to be spiritual, then probably uh, at least half, if not more, humanity is not going to make it. Oh, uh, yeah. At least half of so-called Christians are not going to make it. So I think that this should be translated a human number. And, and one reason that I think it should be translated that way is because in chapter 21, uh, when it talks about uh, the new heavens and the new earth, it says that the angel measured the wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also uh, the measurement of an angel. Mm-hmm. It really means angelic measurements. And so, uh, so I, I think here we're talking more generically, not of a particular angel, but a generic uh, angelic uh, measurements. And so here we're speaking, I think, of um, uh, humanity. So what does it mean that 666 is the mark of humanity? Well, I think what it means is that humanity, apart from God, cannot find its fulfillment. No matter how hard it tries, it's only going to register six, 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 six. It'll be just, it'll continue to be six. Uh, yeah. number, the number seven being fulfillment and completion and perfection. Humanity apart from Christ cannot find perfection. Humanity that conforms itself to the world and to the beast will only find imperfection. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we know this is not a literal number to be written on one's forehead or on one's hands. Is because of the contrast with chapter 14 and verse 1 that immediately follows. Listen to it. I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. So did these people literally have God's name written on their foreheads? (laughs) I, I don't think so. What it means to have a name is to be identified with it, is to be identified with the character mm-hmm. of the name you're you're being identified with, and to be under the protection of that name uh, and, and under the power of that name. And so I think that's that's what it means. So it's 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 highly probable that chapter fourteen and verse one is not to be taken literally, um, uh, but is to be taken as uh, a di- being identified with the name of God in Christ with their yeah. character. That is. And so, likewise, uh, the name in uh, the uh, and the number in chapter thirteen, verses seventeen to eighteen, I think, is uh, being identified with humanity apart from Christ uh, that falls short. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, in two minutes, because that's all I have. Two minutes. Can you give me? 
you know, because this is popular too a uh, little bit. You know, you got the famous movies left behind the rapture because that's something we get questioned about a lot. Um, is it going to be raptured up and goodbye? Or is it going to be raptured up and we're going to escort Christ, the angels, those who passed back to earth, judgment, the rapture in two minutes, if you can. So are you asking if I believe that there'll be a rapture of the church? Yes, sir. So, you know, whether it be raptured as far as like, you know, we get taken up and we're out of here and the world's going to blow up or yeah. <laughs> it's going to be rapture. Some, some, uh, yeah, yeah. Some believe that, uh, by the way, I do believe in the rapture of the church because I believe uh, the rapture is the final resurrection. Mm-hmm. We'll be raptured up, as Paul says in First Thessalonians 4, and we'll be caught up to be with the Lord there, it says. And, um, and I think that that is the final resurrection. So I do want to say I believe in a rapture when we're caught up with a resurrected body. But I don't believe it's going to. I believe that'll occur at the end of the age, time of judgment and and rewards. And um, I think that the so-called rapture of the church before the tribulation. Uh, I, I don't believe that there is a uh, a passage that supports that doctrine, mm-hmm. though the best one is in the Book of Revelation. Uh, my friend and sometimes colleague. Um, uh, Daniel Wallace, who is just retiring from Dallas Theological Seminary, yep. believes in a pre-tribulation rapture based um, at least partly on Revelation 3.10, which says, because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So you can see if Christians have been faithful, if they've kept the word, Christ will keep them from the hour of testing. But that's a that's a pretty good passage. Mm-hmm. Um, here are the two problems with it. First of all, the word hour, when you study it in the book of Revelation, it means being, uh, it's the hour of judgment, final yeah. judgment. That's the dominant use of it. Look at chapter 18, for example, or chapter 14. Um and so what this may well be saying, based on the use of our, here's what we're doing again. We're letting the book interpret itself. Mm-hmm. How is our used elsewhere? Final judgment. So right. let, me, let, me, uh, let me paraphrase uh, chapter 3, verse 10 again, because you kept the word of my perseverance. I'll keep you from the hour of final judgment, that hour, which is about to come upon the whole world. Test mm-hmm. those who dwell on the earth. So we'll be kept from the final judgment, right? So that's one way to understand that, that does not support a pre-tribulation rapture. There's another way to understand it. It could be translated this way, because you kept the word of my perseverance. I'll keep you from the hour of testing in the sense that you'll go through that hour, but I'll protect you from it. Mm -hmm. Now, the Greek word keep, and our is found in uh, John chapter 17. And this is relevant because this is, I believe, John who wrote the gospel is the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. Amen. And in chapter 17, um, 
Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And so um, here uh, we have keep them from the hour of testing, that hour which is to come upon the whole inhabited earth and -hmm. those who dwell upon the earth. And so here we have Jesus praying, uh, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, mm-hmm. but to keep them from the evil one. Yeah. So they're going to be in the world, but they're going to be the prayers to protect them from the evil one. So one of those two interpretations, I think, are far more probable than a straightforward, apparent, literal reading of that. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you, thank you. Well, we have run out of time. And um, certainly and foremost, Dr. Bill, man, you have been a tremendous blessing to us uh walking us through revelation some more of the popular things that you might hear questions that you might come across from people or things on social media that you might see trying to connect that and so thank god that uh we have men and women uh such caliber like dr bill who have undertaken revelation to unpack that so we can properly understand um, so we're not always looking for the next sign, but that we continue on to make the gospel known. So we definitely want to give a round of applause again. God is going crazy. <laughs> but thank you. Hey, that's again, the Dr. only way I get applause if it's played in a fake way. <laughs> Shh, crowded. No, the audience doesn't know that. <laughs> You're all right. Anyways, um, and I will list uh, right on the description box if you want to get in contact with Dr. Bill. What's the best way to do that? Dr. Bill, what's the best way to get in contact? Um, I don't know. Let me think about that. Um, let's see. You could, uh, I mean, it is well known that I'm a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. Gotcha. Okay, so they can look it up. So in the you can have people contact you. Can go to the website of Reformed Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. and there you should be able to find my email address. Got you. And then we'll also list uh, links to your books on Amazon. I know you can get them on Amazon. Commentary and Revelation, uh, the more concise version, uh, and any other books that he might has. Again. Uh, I think what I'm going to do this fall, or I'm sorry, not fall, winter break is to work through We Become What We Worship, a biblical theology of idolatry that will be listed as well. Anything in closing, Dr. Bill? Yeah, uh, I would direct people also to my website, gkbeal.com. And there I I have, uh, for example, I have a uh, section you can click on that are about 30 sermons that I've given on the book of Revelation, All right, including amen. 666. All right. Oh, yeah. Definitely got to check that out. <laughs> so, that, that uh, and, and also on there, I, I recently gave a conference called um, a New Testament Use of the Old for uh, Preachers and Elders um, for Teaching and Preaching. So, uh, I gave that conference. There's a link there now for that conference as well, and and, and a number a number of other links to various things uh, that I have spoken at. Um, 
the biblical theology of the temple and um and 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 so on yeah in fact i would uh, i would recommend you read my temple and the church's mission before you read my book on idolatry okay cool all right, well, but that means that you have to pay for it. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, Amazon is kind of at my house almost every week. Uh, <laughs> so since, uh, yeah, getting ready to uh, get in that dissertation phase. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of you know books on books and trying to find articles and stuff. So I mean, my so are you are, are we still recording here? Yes, sir. Yeah, we're we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. so I'm at Columbia International University doing a PhD in Biblical Studies, uh, oh, New Testament okay. concentration. So just real quick, funny, okay. um, my supervisor, he was like, yeah, you know, once you get near 20 pages of bibliography, you're near the ballpark. He said, you got to okay. go past that to get inside. <laughs> so, you know, I already told my wife, hey, look, you know, got to spend a few extra dollars on some books here and there. But uh, so what, yeah. what is your dissertation on? So as right now, dissertation will be on the demonization of children in the New Testament. So looking at the three stories, don't know if that's going to stick. We'll see once I get my uh, supervisor, I'm not supervisor, my mentor. So they might change up. I had some some colleagues of mine tell me this summer that, uh, you know, once they got with their mentor, their dissertation kind of changed and to be in prayer for me. So. Yeah, we'll right. see. But, but yes, sir. Uh, so we solicit y'all prayers. Listen, check those links out listed below, and we'll see y'all on the next episode. All right, take care. God bless. Peace.